As professionals, we feel this pressure to know everything, right? And it's okay to, you know, humble ourselves and to say to the Indigenous community, I don't know, but I'm here to listen. The podcast is in session. I'm your host, Caitlin Thiel, and welcome to our elective series, System Leadership in Healthy Schools. I want to start by sharing that I'm a white settler recording today from Amiskwichi, Waskahigan, or Edmonton, on Treaty 6, which is the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, Nakota Sioux, and the Métis Nation of Alberta regions 1, 2, 3, and 4. I want to acknowledge the ancestral and unceded territories of all the Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people that call this land home and who have been stewards of the landways and the waterways since time immemorial. The System Leadership and Healthy Schools series aims to empower school system leaders to improve a wide variety of outcomes, maximizing student and staff well-being. This elective series is brought to you by the Canadian Healthy Schools Alliance. The Alliance is a network of organizations on a mission to promote health and well-being in school communities across Canada. The Canadian Healthy Schools Alliance has recently launched the new Canadian Healthy School Standards to support leaders and schools in growing their healthy school communities. Check out episode number one in this series to hear more about the Alliance and the journey to develop the standards. Today, we're joined by Dr. Pamela Rose Toulouse. Dr. Toulouse is a scholar and consultant in Indigenous education, training, and cultural safety. She's a proud Anishinaabe and member of the Segamoc First Nation in Northern Ontario. Dr. Pam, as she is often more fondly known as, has 28 years of experience across the education continuum from K-12, post-secondary, and administration. She's the author, researcher, and developer of over 55 resources in Indigenous education, including books, chapters, articles, curriculum, webinars, and others. Dr. Pam is the recipient of the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance Teaching Excellence Award in 2021, the Inspiring Indigenous Women of Northeastern Ontario Award in 2019, 3M National Teaching Excellence Fellow Award in 2015, the Laurentian University Full-Time Faculty Teaching Excellence Award in 2014, and the Laurentian University Professional School Teaching Excellence Award in 2013. Wow. That is quite the resume. In our conversation today, we're going to discuss how healthy schools and truth and reconciliation go hand in hand. We'll talk about the current state of education for Indigenous peoples and where leaders can begin when embedding truth and reconciliation into their school communities. Before we get started, a reminder to our listeners that podcast learning is mobile. So we invite you to take your learning on the move while you do a little something for yourself to nurture your well-being. Maybe it's a bubble bath or cooking a delicious meal or heading outside. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Pam. Thank you for being here. While our listeners are thinking about ways to tend to their own well-being, I was hoping maybe you can share your favorite ways to nurture your well-being. 
Well, definitely miigwech and thank you, Caitlin, for that wonderful introduction. And I certainly, you know, appreciate it and those wonderful words that you were able to share at the very beginning as well. So let me start off like in a good way, just like you did, because even as an Anishinaabe woman, you know, it's important that I acknowledge the territory that I'm also in. And I am so lucky because today I wake up in my own territory. So I wake up you know, in my own traditional Anishinaabek lands and also in the treaty territory of the Robinson-Huron Treaty of 1850. So, you know, this is such a gift to wake up here this morning on this very beautiful day and to be able to spend time with you and also to our wonderful listeners out there, right? So you're asking me, listen, share your favorite ways to nurture your wellness. So I'm going to give you actually two things and then I'm going to talk about what wellness means to me. Definitely getting out on the land, right? Mm -hmm. So getting out on the land and having that connection to nature and the elements and all of those beautiful other than human beings is one of my favorite ways to be well, to stay well and to achieve balance. So anytime that I'm feeling even a little bit of stress, right? All I need to do is go outside and take that deep breath and to recognize the gifts that our mother, the earth has given us. And the other wonderful, wonderful way to nurture wellness for me is humor. <laughs> and the reason why I say humor, and it also is such a great gift, because humor not only produces these wonderful endorphins, but what does humor do, right? So humor is a release. It is a gift. And what it does, it also is a way to form relationships. Because when we can laugh together, right? Laughing together is also a form of healing together mm -hmm. and healing and wellness are interconnected. It's also like, you know, well, what does wellness mean to me? Well, I mean, wellness is really based upon my own understanding of the sacred circle. A lot of people will be like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, the sacred circle. Well, I'm talking, you know, you might know it as the medicine wheel, mm -hmm. but my territory, yeah. the sacred circle comes from our teaching is called Bamadzwin. And Bamadzwin in my language is all about living this good life, right? Mm -hmm. Not good life in terms of material, but the good life in terms of the physical self, the emotional self, the intellectual self, and the spiritual self. So what I do is I make sure throughout my day that I can take a look at myself and say, listen, what have I done for myself physically? What have I have done for myself emotionally, mm -hmm. intellectually, and spiritually to maintain that balance? And that is, again, the way that I nurture myself, but also assess my own wellness throughout the day and at the end of the day. So if you're out there listening right now, all right, I really hope, okay, that you are out on the land somewhere doing something for yourself or, oh my goodness, honor that sacred breath that our mother gave to us and take a nice deep breath. So I encourage you right now try it everybody because i'm going to start us off i'm going to count us down three two one deep breath hold it hold it let it go one more you gorgeous people out there breathe in release now 
that honoring of breath and taking those deep breaths. There's a whole physiological, you know, element to that about how it helps us and helps to rejuvenate ourselves. But also taking those deep breaths is also, again, an acknowledgement and a connection to our mother earth who shows us every day how she honors us with her gifts by providing her own breath, which is the air. So my wonderful friends, I am looking forward to the next question there, Caitlin. Oh, what a great introduction. Even before you walked us through the breathing, I was finding myself taking deep breaths every time you talked about walking outside. So that wonderful introduction. Thank you so much for sharing. And I hope that all of our listeners like me are a little more energized than they were a couple minutes ago. And they're ready to dive into this conversation. I thought before taking a deep dive, I imagine our listeners like myself want to know a little bit more about your current role and a little bit more about your work. Do you mind sharing some of that? Oh, I would be definitely honored and humbled to be able to share that, right? So I've had quite an interesting career. Currently, what is my role? So I am definitely working as an Indigenous consultant right now Mm -hmm. and, you know, still working as an Anishinaabe scholar. I was really fortunate because I spent 28 years in education, right from K to 12 and post-secondary. And if you can actually believe it, wonderful folks, after 28 years, I made the decision to retire. Now, you might be thinking, okay, listen, this doesn't sound like retirement to me. (laughs) And it's exactly what happened. So my last role was as a full professor in the Faculty of Education at Laurentian University. And I loved my experience of working with student teachers and being in schools and working with system leaders and admin. And it was so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. But then there comes a time, right? There comes a time everybody goes through, you know, a particular change or else you go on a different path or journey. And you need to embrace that journey because part of wellness is being adept to change as well. So the time came for me to retire and I did. And uh, in my so-called retirement, I get to, you know, work on projects where I can see that there is going to be immediate outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to see things that have benefits for the community, for Indigenous, you know, families and students, but also to build relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. So, you know, I've written a couple of things, like you said, 55 resources, books, and have a whole host and series of curriculum documents and I was like, you know, really gifted to be able to work with wonderful knowledge keepers throughout those times. And also to honor again, my own way of knowing, which is an Anishinaabe way of knowing. So Mm -hmm. my work was 28 years of just beautiful interactions, building relationships within the educational community and really bringing, you know, forward the need for truth and reconciliation to be real in the school systems. So this is where I am today and also had this wonderful opportunity to work on these healthy school standards. Mm -hmm. And I really look forward to talking about those as well later on. So again, Caitlin, thank you. 28 (laughs) years, as you can tell, I'm retired. I'm very, very passionate. Your passion just like comes across the screen. And it's so wonderful to be sitting with you this morning. Melanie Davis, who we interviewed in episode one of this series, uh, highly recommended that we chat with you. And I'm so glad that she did. And when she was introducing you to the series, she quoted you as saying that healthy schools and truth and reconciliation go hand in hand. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about that. What should that mean for system leaders? 
Truth and reconciliation and healthy schools definitely do go hand in hand. And I really want to talk about this and focus it on the roles and the responsibilities of system leaders. Because the system leader, right, the the administrators, these are the wonderful individuals, those beautiful two-leggeds that are going to model for staff and for the community and for students that they are committed to healthy schools, but also committed to truth and reconciliation. When they model it, when they provide time for educators really to get involved with the standards, to look at, you know, what type of community supports there are and expertise, and also to take a look at their policies Mm -hmm. and, you know, engage those policies to be more inclusive and to have a whole school approach to healthy schools, that is key. So what does healthy schools and truth and reconciliation really have to do with each other? And this is really based upon relationships, right? So there's two things here at work. There's the truth and then there's reconciliation. So when we talk about the truth from an Indigenous perspective, the truth is really about honoring the past in a respectful way, understanding the obstacles that have been forced upon Indigenous communities, understanding them, empathizing and connecting to it. So knowing the truth. Now, What else is truth? Truth is understanding all the contributions that Indigenous peoples have given and continue to give in the realm of wellness and holistic approaches to wellness. Mm. And on the other part of that is reconciliation. So reconciliation, when we think about that, involves multiple parties. So reconciliation is about relationships between Indigenous peoples and non-Indigenous peoples. Those students, especially in K-12, right, that are growing, they are learning together, and they're going on their own educational journeys. A healthy school approach, right? So a healthy school that has healthy students. And to me, a healthy school is one that is balanced, right? Mm -hmm. One that is balanced, you know, in its health and physical education programming. It's embedded throughout. But it is one that is honoring students at the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual levels. So reconciliation is about those relationships. So a healthy school with healthy students, builds healthy communities. Healthy communities also build healthy relationships. And truth and reconciliation is about healthy relationships. When system leaders embrace that approach, when they look at the standards and find opportunities Mm -hmm. to build relationships with Indigenous peoples and include them in a meaningful and a respectful way in um, wellness and holistic approaches in schools, then this is truth and reconciliation and action, relationships, storytelling, you know, being able to laugh together and to be able to approach wellness, you know, from our own stances. Mm -hmm. So that's really what it is for me. And system leaders, they are the ones that can model it and show staff in the community, listen, this matters to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Model it. Yeah. That was a really great breakdown of the way you've broken up the truth and reconciliation. And it's so true, the importance of leaders, their role in this, which is this whole series is for system leaders. So thank you for that. Can you talk about some of the harms that come when we fail? to honor knowledge, values, and skills of Indigenous peoples in the education system? 
definitely. So I really want to, again, provide a current context, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the past couple of months, if we look at Canadian society as a whole, Canadians were absolutely shocked by the numbers of Indigenous children and young people's graves located outside of Indigenous schools, right? And it's not only the shock and disbelief, but all of a sudden, it's like, how do we come to terms with this current reality that Indigenous peoples have faced and continue to face? So this is an example. That's an extreme example of how education has caused harm Mm -hmm. and, again, how it, again, can fail and how it becomes a primordial event for Indigenous peoples and their relationships with non-Indigenous peoples. Some of the harms, of course, you know, that we see manifest themselves in many ways. So if we take a look even at graduation rates, right? So even though there has been significant progress in terms of graduation rates and retention rates amongst Indigenous students in schools, and that's a result because, again, of community, Indigenous communities Mm -hmm. saying, listen, these are our kids, these are our communities, we need to be involved. But so many wonderful Indigenous leads across this country that are working so hard to ensure that the voices and resources that are authentic to Indigenous peoples are included. Now, we talk about disproportionate graduation rates. But, you know, when we think about harms, right? You know, when we think about harms, so what does that actually look like? So harm can also mean things like risk factors. So harms when it comes to Indigenous students, because a lot of our students are living in what I would call a forced poverty situation, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in a risk situation like that, where you have limited access to resources, You may go to like an educational environment that doesn't honor your language, the gifts that you've given, and the messages that keep coming out is that you don't matter. So what do those harms do and those risk factors, right? We see the symptoms of it. And what are the symptoms? The symptoms are things like rates of obesity, rates of diabetes, and all of these other factors related, you know, to acute and chronic illnesses, And those are the symptoms of harm, right? And harm that has been inflicted through curriculum and policies and certain legislation that were really meant to undermine and to hurt Indigenous peoples. And we see that. We see it manifest in our children and in our youth and in our young people. And the reality is, is that Indigenous peoples, we look at this great country, right? And the potential it has to be great, right? This potential. And we think about that. There are over 60 different Indigenous languages across Canada. You know, you think about that. And each one of those languages has several different Indigenous dialects, like myself, Nishnabe, right? So I understand my language, you know, speak it okay. Mm-hmm. But my Nishnabe language is only one out of 60. And, you know, my dialect is specific to Northern Ontario here in this region. And not only that, you think about the diversity of cultures, right? So over 60 languages, well, think about the diversity of culture as well, traditions, ceremonies, and knowledge. It's important to honor the local knowledge first, the local values and skills of the Indigenous nations in that particular area mm-hmm. where system leaders are located. Yeah. Because we are in a time where 
we need to take a look at the harms that have happened and we need to take a look at, okay, how do we learn from those harms and the symptoms that Indigenous peoples experience because of those harms? And what do we need to do to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. And how do we move forward? And that is, again, through truth and through reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And understanding, it sounds like, some of the, the contributing factors to those harms. I heard you say curriculum, policies, I'm sure some programs. So as system leaders reflect on those things and, and their contribution to the harms, how can they start to reconceptualize education to recenter Indigenous ways of knowing? So I think you've hinted at it a lot, relationships. Yeah. But yes. can you share more about how they can even bridge that? Yes, so definitely. So again, like our system leaders are definitely in this unique position, right? And a unique position that can be about transformative change. So for example, when you adopt a whole school approach towards wellness, so when again, you know, you take a look at these standards, you know, the foundational ones and the implementational standards, is that there's this amazing opportunity to not only like, you know, see ways to benefit Indigenous students. But, you know, think about it this way, right? If you are reaching and doing planning, you know, towards a population that has been the most marginalized, think about all of the other students and communities that are also have been, you know, deemed at risk that you're also going to include. When you reach for the most hard and difficult communities, that benefits everybody. It really, really does. So I really want to talk about, you know, when it comes to things like especially curriculum, So curriculum. So every single province and territory has their own health and physical education curriculum. They have their language arts curriculum. Mm -hmm. And really the way that I see it is is that system leaders have the opportunity, right, to engage their staff in a curriculum process, right? Curriculum planning and revision. How to adapt curriculum expectations to be more inclusive. So how do we do that? Well, curriculum needs to come from the use of meaningful resources. So the first place you need to start is to ensure that you have, again, local Indigenous representation within your, of course, school board, Mm -hmm. but not only that, meaningful Indigenous representation that are also honoured, right? So honoured through honorariums and Mm -hmm. also compensated for their work at the school level. To be involved in that curriculum, you know, revision process or else finding opportunities to include Indigenous content is absolutely key. So starting there. Now also resources, right? When you're thinking about wellness, what types of resources, what types of books, manipulatives, audio materials, what type of experiential activities, how are you utilizing the land? So it's really about rethinking how that curriculum can be more holistic, right? So again, it's thinking about things like how do we honor the physical aspects of students, right? So when it comes to how do we honor physical activity, what types of research and who's informing the types of physical activity that is, again, you know, important. Mm -hmm. So thinking about mental health, who are we also, you know, including as part of thinking about what does our mental health programs look like in schools? Are we using a holistic approach to mental health? Are we, again, looking at opportunities to go to the Indigenous community in a good, respectful way and say, listen, we're here to learn, we're here to listen, and what types of ways or else approaches can we implement mental health in our schools? Yeah. 
So I always say that the curriculum has to come from relationships with the people, using resources that are local, and also ensuring that Indigenous leads and that system leaders as well, that there is a balance when it comes to hiring and recruiting processes, that there's also Indigenous people that are there as role models for yeah. the entire community. So these are absolutely key. So what does that translate to? So if you like take a look at hiring policies and curriculum, that translates into programs in schools, yeah. right? So whether that's health and physical education programs or else having wellness embedded throughout the curriculum, which is the preferred method, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The totally preferred. It's that translates to standards. <laughs> yes, yes. That <laughs> translates into like, you know, program level impacts for K to 12 students. And in terms of funding models, System leaders, you know, have an opportunity also to advocate at the provincial and territorial levels to ensure that those funding models have capacity built in to hire Indigenous peoples, to purchase Indigenous resources, and also to ensure that the holistic needs of our students are met. Because all of these things being put in place also will help to develop enhance those relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students. Wow, that was a lot of great things. So I just want to kind of recap because you really did touch on a lot. So we talked about all the harms that are coming from the failure of the education system to honor knowledge, uh, values, and skills of Indigenous peoples. And then you talked about how system leaders can really go back and look at things like curriculum, policies, funding models, which would then translate to programs to to then start to address these and reduce these harms really Um, and a lot of that really comes from meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. with the local indigenous communities and accessing resources so i think at the end we will maybe get you to recommend some of those if there are resources and also i think the recommendation is to check in on local resources as well so that i mean that's a, a whole mouthful of things if our leaders are listening and they're thinking like where do i start like what is step one do you Mm -hmm. do you have a suggestion or is it dependent on where you are and where you are in your journey this is a really important question to be asking right step one is going to depend really upon the location of system leaders so i'll give you an example step one here in the province of ontario specifically is the indigenous leads right so in the province of ontario and this is why i really talk about policies and funding again you know advocating for indigenous inclusion is absolutely critical because here in ontario we have what's called the ontario first nations metis and inuit education policy framework. And through that framework, it was identified that there has to be an Indigenous lead that has to be hired for each board, right? So, you know, someone that's like a system level leader. That's in our province. Now, every other province and territory would have a similar position or else a person that is assigned, right? That is assigned that particular portfolio of Indigenous education. So the very first thing to do, you know, step one is to reach out to the person that's responsible for Indigenous education. Now, I say that's absolutely critical 
because it is that Indigenous leader, that person that's responsible for Indigenous education, that will know the appropriate protocols to go through to engage with Indigenous communities. So again, there is particular protocols, because even for myself, there's almost like a hesitancy to engage if the appropriate protocols are not followed. So we need to know that if you are going to be seeking a relationship with our community, with our elders, with our own athletes, with our own knowledge keepers that have that very like traditional knowledge about healing and wellness, we need to know that those relationships, that they're going to be meaningful and that you followed the appropriate protocols. So step one is go to the Indigenous lead and they can help guide you. Mm. Now, I don't want Indigenous leads to be absolutely overwhelmed. So I would also suggest is that the other thing is for system leaders to take that first step and to model it, to start learning about Indigenous peoples, you know, the past, the present, and the opportunities for the future, to model it. Not only that, Another way to also do it is to build those relationships and go to community events, right? Mm -hmm. So go to the local friendship center if you're in an urban setting or else if you're in a rural setting, go to the communities, participate in events, find those opportunities to bridge yourself with the local community. Now, that is one way. But the other way for system leaders to take that first step is also to offer professional development, okay? Professional development to staff that has a local focus, Mm -hmm. right? That is, again, about well-being, wellness, and mental health from an Indigenous perspective that respects the people of the land. So that professional development can help set the tone for the school community that this is a priority. Yeah. But this really is about a journey. It's about a journey of learning. It's about a journey of transformation. And, you know, developing a relationship with Indigenous peoples, what's the outcome going to be, right? So if it's done in a good way, by using those good protocols, by gifting. So a big thing for us is gifting, to come with gifts, right? To come in a humble way. If you're going to come to establish a relationship, how are you going to begin that, right? Mm -hmm. Learn like basic language. How do you say hello or thank you? Those little steps can go such a long way, but it really, you know, is about doing that. I know in my area here, what I really love about my particular community here, like in Sudbury and with our particular school boards, is that our Indigenous leads have an entire staff that are able to focus on bridging those relationships and providing resources. But what they also do is that they will also provide that information. This is how you approach the community in yeah. a good way. Those are things to start. And you know what? You you engage in this relationship and oh my goodness, what happens? You end up with a good relationship, a relationship that's probably going to last a lifetime yeah. and a lifetime that's based upon sharing And it'll be a transformative experience for yourself and just being open to knowing that it will be. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that you talk about that protocol. I think a lot of educators and system leaders might be scared to say or do the wrong thing. And I think that those are some good tips in terms of talking to your Indigenous leads. And, And also just, in my experience, asking questions. Because usually every individual that I've ever interacted with has been so kind. And if you're open to learning, they will share. 
You know what? And, and you again, Caitlin, because you're speaking from a place of experience, right? And you're speaking from a place of truth. And that is really important, you know, asking questions. So here's what happens to educators, because I worked in a faculty of education. I've been working with teachers for 28 years. And one of their greatest fears mm-hmm. when it comes to Indigenous content, mm-hmm. of course, and Indigenous relationships is getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, it's one of their greatest fears. I don't want to get it wrong. Or cause more harm. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I typically would have my students, student teachers do at the beginning is I would say, listen, you need to know the three most important words, not only in education, but the three most important words when you are engaging in relationships with Indigenous peoples. Now, a lot of them would go, oh, is the word I love you? You know, I'm like, you're close, you're (laughs) close. But actually, the three most important words are I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And it's okay to, you know, come from a place because as professionals, we feel this pressure to know everything, right? And it's okay to, you know, humble ourselves and to say to the Indigenous community, I don't know, but I'm here to listen. Mm -hmm. And that is really where it comes from, being able to listen, Mm -hmm. right? So you really nailed it on the head there, Caitlin. Thank you. Yeah. I'm grateful to have been with Everactive for as long as I have and learned from our leadership and the relationships that we've built over the years. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, we've been bridging some of these relationships uh, with communities across Alberta for, you know, nine years. And it's definitely paid off and helped our practice for sure. So, Caitlin, before we move to the next question. I'm actually going to have a challenge, okay? I'm going to have a challenge for our podcast listeners. Wonderful. All right there, podcast <laughs> listeners. Now, listen here, okay? I'm going to give you a couple of contributions that Indigenous peoples have given to the world, all right? Now, they do have either like wellness, mental health, or health and physical education origins. So what I want you to do is to make a mental note or make a note or say it out loud, whatever you would like to do, of the particular contributions that you're like, I never knew that or I want to know more about it, or it's like, I cannot live without it. Now, I'm going to start here, and it's going to be controversial, folks. It's going to be controversial. So, a couple of sports we gave to the world, and it's okay. You can write me and say, that's not true, Pam, and that's all right. (laughs) We'll have a good conversation about it. The sport of basketball, right? The sport of basketball, okay? The sport of hockey, field, and ice, all right? Canoes, my friends, and kayaks, all right? Not only that, my beautiful friends, okay? Character education, can you believe it, all right? Not only that, snow goggles, okay? Snow goggles, protective eyewear, all right? Again, not only that, okay? So things, especially like anatomical knowledge, right? We gave that to the world. Helmets, come on, all right? Anytime that you're wearing protective gear like that think about the origins came from us wow. now not only that right things like calendars and also again dreamwork psychology and developmental life stages so those are only a couple of them that we've given to the world but also for you avid runners out there okay we were definitely some of the first runners and in fact we actually had natural forms of ephedra to ensure that our runners who were taking messages between communities yeah. that they had that particular hormone to keep them running in a good way so my good friends not only that snowshoes 
toothbrushes, okay? Toothbrushes. Toothpaste and tooth powders. Not only that, personal hygiene. We gave it to the world. Therapeutic touch. The sport of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites when it's done in a good, respectful way is dog sledding. And of course, my good friends. The other thing that we also gave to the wonderful, wonderful world is, you know, a series of traction and counter traction types of devices, right? Mm. It's a way to, you know, aid in shoulders that have been dislocated. So, you know, think about it, podcast listeners, which one can you not live without? Not only that, which one are you shocked by? Or which one do you want to learn more about? So this is the diversity of contributions. Think about those. It's like I never knew. And a lot of these will dispel the myths and the stereotypes that continue to get perpetuated. Because again, we continue to be all 500 nations in North America on Turtle Island continue to be very diverse in our approaches to wellness and health and the gifts that we've given to the world that we've yet to be acknowledged for and thank goodness deodorants because i swear my friends thank goodness our people gave that to the world (laughs) today it is hot muggy okay hot muggy here in my territory my beautiful traditional lands but not only that this podcast is making me sweat but in a good way in a good way caitlin (laughs) that is quick i you know I have to admit, I did not know many of those contributions. There was a few in there. I I definitely remember learning about lacrosse and um, the traditional roots of that. But there's like the protective gear. I had no idea. But thanks for sharing that. I think I I hope our listeners take that challenge and go explore a little bit more about that. And that would be great projects to do with students as well. It's great to do as projects with students. And the reason, like, you know, when I was talking about system leaders, you know, how important it is to go to the Indigenous leads and have those relationships with the community is because, you know, when it comes to having curriculum and resources, which translate into programming in schools, is that the other unique aspect is Indigenous languages, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example because they provide an entirely different worldview. So an example of wellness is developmental life stages. And in our territory here, so Anishinaabek territory here in Sudbury, we call this place Niswakamuk in my language. And one of the most important things, of course, in this particular territory is how it is we see the life stages of our people mm-hmm. and what those words mean and how much they can mean to non-Indigenous peoples and how they view their own children. So I'll give you an example. The word uh, in Nishnabe for a child, right? So mm-hmm. at that first stage of life, from birth to the age of seven, we call them benonjis, okay? Benonjis. Now, The lazy kind of English translation is a child. Mm -hmm. But when you take a look at the language and what it really means in Ojibwe is raising a little spirit, right? So when we look at our babies to age seven, we see the Bonongis. And what that means is that we're raising little spirits. So that changes the perspective, changes the way that you look at that beautiful child, right? So that's why I'm saying It is so critical that there's a particular worldview that comes with it. You know, not only that. So here in our territory, we call Canada, okay, or else this land, Kinade. Sounds Mm -hmm. almost the same, okay? So Kinade, phonetically, it almost sounds the same. This teaching actually comes from Merlissant's Beattie, an Anishinaabe elder who's now in the spirit world. 
And she said, you know, kinade means this. It comes from this saying, kinagego. So everything that you see around you and de comes from the heart, de min. So that small word, mm. kinade, actually means everything that you see around you has heart. Has heart. Okay. And the heart comes from creation. So that's why I'm saying the impact of worldview and indigenous languages, culture, and resources are so critical to how healthy school standards and that approach is embedded in programming at the K to 12 level. Wow. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing. So you've hinted at the standards a few times now throughout your talk. What was it like being a part of the development of the healthy school standards? Because you got to be there from the start. Is that correct? Definitely. I was there from the very beginning through the development and the many iterations, you know, of the document. And the document is one thing, but the process of reviewing and writing the document is a whole other thing. Right. So I really want to talk about experience with HPE Canada, okay, in developing the standards. Because it started off using the protocols that are respectful of knowledge keepers that are Indigenous. So how did it start off? It started off from the wonderful people like Melanie Davis, starting off from a place of learning and listening. Really, that's what it was, reaching out and positioning this whole process, which ended up in the product of the actual standards themselves, but it was based upon listening and learning. Hmm. And it was like, okay, we're just beginning this journey. We have a lot to learn. And that's how it began. So it began in this very good way, a place of humility and understanding that this was a relationship that was going to continue, not just from the point of working on the standards, but it was going to continue beyond that, right? And that's, it's manifested into this podcast, right? So that's what happened. And so working on the standards myself and being able to see the iterations and being able to talk back and forth virtually between the various reviewers and writers was an experience that was based upon respect critical thinking and honoring particular expertise, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what it was. So I brought a lens that could speak to truth and reconciliation and bring in different contributions in terms of what is a a wellness approach from, again, a perspective that I have. So it was like this process that, that was very much about honoring and humbling. And it was based on respect and reciprocity and relationship building. Now, the standards themselves and the document that people will see you've got the foundational and the implementation standards is one where I'm really proud of that document. I'm proud of the document because I was involved in every stage of the revisions and the drafting and providing input. And not only that, being able to see a shift, because that's what it is. It's a shift in how it is that we approach and transform wellness in schools, right? Mm -hmm. It's having that whole school approach and also knowing that the learners and their families are also experts in their own wellness and that they bring this wealth of information and customs and traditions and language as well. So doing the standards, it was like, wow, how often do you see at the beginning of a document, you know, and this was the first step, an acknowledgement of the territories that all of the reviewers and writers came from. It's right at the beginning. And a lot of people say, well, land acknowledgements are so controversial. Now it's just become status quo. We just do it. Well, you know what, from my perspective, 
when I go to someone's territory, I don't care where I am in Canada, you know, mm-hmm. I'm Nishnabe, but I'm still a visitor yeah. if I'm going out west to Intlakapma territory or Stolo. I'm Indigenous, but I'm still an outsider right. because I'm a visitor there. I still want to know whose traditional sacred lands I'm in. I want to know that. And it's a respectful act to say, listen, I know that I'm living in an area that actually is the traditional sacred lands of whoever the people may be. So that is right at the beginning. And then you take a look at the language, right? The language itself, like in the document, what I love about it now is that you'll see words like elders, Métis senators, knowledge keepers. Mm -hmm. You'll see the word holistic written in two ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You'll see it written, you know, with uh, the W at the beginning and also just a little point of information why we use the W and why some other Indigenous nations may not. But it speaks to the diversity. It's also, this is a a living document, right? So it's like, listen, here is a wise practice that's inclusive, but it's really up to system leaders and their schools to take a look at those standards and to say, listen, how is it that I can utilize community resources, find my champions in the school and in the community, and, you know, make sure that wellness is integrated throughout the curriculum, Mm -hmm. right? How do we honor indigenous voice and voices you know that historically have been marginalized how do we honor them throughout the school and in our approach to wellness Mm -hmm. so you know for me it was a very positive experience but it's also a living document part of the conversations have always been between again the HPE staff and leaders is that you know what they said we're at the beginning of this journey and you know the fact that there's the recognition that it is a journey and that they're at the beginning is a good way to start Mm -hmm. because that is the protocol that is necessary again to do this type of work right and it's the state of mind the state of mind of humility right so that's what it is so again I am very confident in the document and have had a lot of positive experiences. There was a lot of critical thinking, a lot of good challenging too, and questions that were challenging, but in a respectful way, yeah. right? In a respectful way. So yeah, so that that's my perspective on my work uh, with the standards. I think many schools and, and organizations like the one I work for, Everactive Schools, we've been using the comprehensive school health framework and we've we've known the importance of engaging Indigenous leaders and and community members and students in the act. But what I love about this document is, like you said, it's right there. It's a standard. To be a healthy school community, you need to engage in these conversations and start to address the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So I love that it's right there. And when we spoke earlier, you talked about some pride in that the standards do respond to some of the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Can you share some of that? Oh, yeah. So I'll definitely. So I'm actually going to start with a specific call to action because there's several actually calls to action that the healthy school standards reflects and responds to. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm actually going to start with the ones that are related to education. And it's actually a specific one. So again, if we take a look at call to action 63, but it's actually the third point. Okay, so it talks about that it's really important 
important in K-12 education that there are opportunities, that there's programs, policies, all of that in place to build student capacity for intercultural understanding, empathy, and mutual respect. So I really want to focus in on that one just right now. Because people think, well, how hard is that? Of course, young people can empathize with each other and children can and all of this business. But think about the wording itself. It's about intercultural understanding, empathy and mutual respect. So we're not talking about sympathy here, okay? Because sympathy is actually not an appropriate way to, again, view or engage uh, with Indigenous peoples. Actually, the most appropriate and respectful way to engage is to seek areas for understanding, to learn to empathize, which just means to relate, right? To relate, because we'll never truly understand how it is that I grew up as a Anishinaabe, what my experiences were in school, because there's a totally different history at work here. Mm -hmm. But that particular expectation is about that intercultural understanding, empathy, and respect, mutual respect between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students and peoples, right, and educators. And when they say building student capacity, student capacity means, okay, well, what types of activities, programs are being offered at the school level that actually, you know, offer opportunities for engagement, offer opportunities for students to be able to relate and empathize and respect each other. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard because, you know, when it comes to Again, experiences. Curriculum is important. But if we think back, and I'm going to challenge everybody out there in podcast land when you're listening, of course, you're like, you know, walking outside on the land. All right. Hopefully you are. But when we think to our own schooling experience, what really tends to stand out in our minds is not, whoa, that was like an amazing wellness lesson um, (laughs) that I remember. (laughs) You know, it's important because it facilitates critical thought. But what we remember is we remember people and experiences, Mm -hmm. right? And the environment, yeah. And the environment. So this is why. So, you know, to remember the relationships that were built between Indigenous students and non-Indigenous students, we'll remember those people, we'll remember what led us to engage in those good relationships. Not only that, to think about the experiences, Mm -hmm. right? So if that experience is being out in a land-based education place with the Indigenous community, Mm -hmm. that's what students will remember, right? Or if it's an example of of engaging in a mental health program that's based upon the appropriate life stages, mm-hmm. right? And I'll give you an example, right? So this is an example that actually honors that particular truth and reconciliation call to action. So for us, from the ages of about 7 to 14, they start becoming what we would call shkinigish. So in my language, shkinigish, there are these young spirits. So again, language important. So these young spirits that are growing. So in a mental health program, what we would do is we would look at, okay, when we think about development, that life stage from the ages of seven to 14, right? It's like, you know, so what type of physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual changes are occurring during that time? Mm -hmm. And using the language, right? Skinny-ish. So what is this beautiful young spirit? What are they developing towards? So 
what it is, is typically it's a time of rapid growth. It's about challenging hierarchy. It's about testing boundaries and limits. In our culture, that's what we understand Shkinigish to do. That's a natural thing to do in that stage. But how do we support them to test limits and boundaries in a good way? Yeah. So that's why I'm saying that honors it. So if you have a mental health program or else like a, a stages of life program based on Indigenous teachings, that doesn't just honor Indigenous students. Yeah. Non-Indigenous students can say, listen, yeah, you know, I get it. I too am, you know, Shkini-ish. I am that young spirit that's developing. And yes, yeah, testing limits and all of these rapid changes that this is part of the regular stage of my life. And I don't have to start freaking out <laughs> because, you know, I don't have because it's, it's, it's normal. It's mm-hmm. natural. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that one is particularly important. And then if you take a look, you know, especially when it comes to the calls to action in terms of sports and recreation, right? These standards definitely respond to that. So if I take a look at some of the particular calls, is that they definitely speak to how it is that various levels of government and boards have to ensure that there's appropriate programming and funding in place to ensure that there's programs for coaches, trainers, and sports officials that are culturally relevant for Indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. And that particular call is the third point in the call to action 90, right? Mm. So that's what it is. And not only that, The other call is having anti-racism awareness and training programs. And I see these healthy school standards as going beyond anti-racism standards. I would like to flip that around and call it that it is more about inclusion, right? right? It's about inclusion and focused in on relationships and wellness from an Indigenous perspective, being something that is embedded throughout the curriculum, right? Not just located in health and phys ed. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to hear that you were proud to be part of the meaningful shifts that took place in the standards and that you can see these calls to action come to life in the final document. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'd like to put another challenge out, okay? You know, we're talking wellness here. So I'm going to give you my Nishnabek wellness perspective. So beautiful podcast listeners out there, what I would like you to do again, okay, you can also do it as you're walking. Of course, you're walking, right? Mm -hmm. We're not sitting stationary. Um, (laughs) So what I'd like you to do is I would like you to think about these values, okay, that I'm going to actually present to you. And I want you to think about, you know, where have you seen this value in conflict, okay, in schools, right? So wellness is a bigger picture, right? Mm -hmm. Wellness is also about that character education, and it's about a holistic approach to health. So when we think about our technological world, and this is the world that we all live in right now, and all of our students in K-12 are bombarded with technology. Oh, they're gaming out. They got Fortnite going on. They got all of it going on. Can't wait to go buy like that Xbox card to buy more skins for their gaming. But we also have the traditional world of Indigenous peoples. So our traditional world is those traditional teachings and values that really ground us and root us. So I'm going to talk about it from Nishnabek perspective. So in my traditional world, we know that humor, okay, and humor is wellness, right? That humor is a sign of trust for us. So if I joke around with you, you know, or if I tease you in a respectful way, okay, a respectful way, that it is a sign of trust, okay? So that is a value that's, again, in my community, that's Nishnabek, that is important to us. Humor is a sign of trust. The technological world, and we see this manifest in classrooms, Mm -hmm. is humor has its place, 
right? Right. Humor has its place. So that is, you know, two values. Humor is trust in a schnobic world. Humor has its place in the technological world that are constantly in conflict with each other, right? So when we think about character education approaches, which is also a big part of wellness, we need to think about, well, what does this mean for our students, especially Indigenous students that are being forced to be bicultural and bilingual, basically. And then again, language. So traditional world. What do we call humor in my language, Nishnabe? Well, we call it Chabape, right? Even the word itself, Chabape, puts a (laughs) smile on your face. So you think about that sound there, that phonetic sound of eh. Eh actually refers to de damn which is the heart yeah. so when we when we uh you know engage in together we're actually sharing in each other's hearts mm. so that's an example now i'm going to give you another one and this is something really that is going to have to be thought about so again technological world competition is highly valued right you know yeah. but there has to be a healthy level of competition in the traditional world what is valued is cooperation okay If the value system is about cooperation, we need to really think about, well, what types of values are being imparted in our schools as well? Because competition and cooperation don't necessarily, depending upon how it's approached, align with the other. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing with things like rights and responsibilities. We talk a lot in schools about rights. We're very much a right-based society. But here it is in our traditional worlds, in the Schnabe lens, we're about responsibilities. What is your responsibility to each other, to the land? What is your responsibility? But in our technological world, very rights-based. I have the right to my property. I have the right to this. Mm -hmm. So that's why in terms of character education, thinking about how it is that we include local Indigenous perspectives and languages to ensure that they're discussed in a good way. And it doesn't just benefit Indigenous students because non-Indigenous students can sit there and say, yeah, you know what? When I'm sitting around and like, you know, and humor that, yeah, humor is, you know, a place where when we laugh with each other, It's a place where there's trust and relationship building. Same thing with, you know, the dichotomy between rights and responsibilities, right? So, you know, non-Indigenous students can be like, you know, I've got the right to this, the right to that, the right to this. But then to have the Indigenous teachings about responsibilities, but what is my responsibility to my fellow student? What is it, right? So I just wanted to share that. So podcasters, where have you seen it happen? Okay, humor has its place. Humor is trust. Competition versus cooperation. Rights versus responsibility. And listen, I'll give you this one, all right? And you might be thinking, oh, Pam, you didn't learn this one. Talking versus silence. (laughs) So technological world, we value talking, right? It's a sign usually used as a form of assessment in wellness, especially in health and physical education curriculum as well. But also, again, traditional world, view we really do value silence and i've really got to start learning that my friends <laughs> well, podcasters. We're, loving, we're loving listening so not today not today <laughs> yeah. so podcasters where have you seen this manifest itself do you have a conflict within yourself i don't know but anyways so again thanks a lot caitlin and let's see where can we go from here what is the next question Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing those. I think it's really interesting to think about those reframes and thinking about that. And yeah, that's all the more reason to bring in 
different views into our classrooms. We're coming up to the end. I think I've been so grateful to spend this last hour with you. Your energy is contagious. I hope our listeners have also found it contagious. I was hoping before we depart that we could talk a little bit about some resources you might suggest our listeners could check out. So I definitely have several resources that I would definitely suggest. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one of the things that I will suggest, first of all, is definitely to familiarize yourself with the calls to action. Now, a lot of people will be like, you know, well, why would I even want to do that? Because you'll be able to see how you're able to connect with those calls to action and how there can be movement and change in a good way. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm going to also suggest when it comes to resources, right, no matter what province and territory that you are located in, all right, Mm -hmm. is that you need to go and take a look at your board of education's website and find out who the Indigenous lead is or who is the person responsible for Indigenous education, right? So that's where I would also go as a particular resource because you need to have those two-legged resources, right? The human beings to provide that input. Not only that, The other thing that I would do is that if you're in an urban setting, most urban settings have like a friendship center. Mm -hmm. They're not difficult to find. If you just do a search, Indigenous Friendship Center, they always come up. Or an Indigenous Health Access Center. Because typically those Indigenous Health Access Centers, so they provide primary and secondary health care. So what they do is they also have a multitude of resources as well that are culturally relevant and that are local. So I definitely suggest that as well. And listen, all you have to do is open up a browser of your choice and put in this title, American Indian Contributions to the World mm. by Kiyoki and Porterfield. But if you just put in American Indian Contributions to the World, you will find this amazing encyclopedia series. And they have, again, through their really great relationships with 500 nations on Turtle Island, they have developed this encyclopedia series that has, you know, all of these amazing gifts and contributions like hockey and basketball and like DreamWorks psychology and developmental stages, right, that Indigenous peoples have given to the world and including all of our food staples that we have today. I mean, oh my goodness, who can't live without popcorn? And, you know, <laughs> sometime food, potato chips, okay, you can thank us, okay, but of course that's only a sometime food, uh, not for me, uh, kidding. Um, but not only that, my own publications as well. Yeah. Truth and Reconciliation in Canadian Schools also has several lesson plans in it oh. that are very focused on wellness. So my fifth chapter is about the sacred circle. But if you're looking for an, an easy read, then that text that I'm talking about through Portage and Main Press is actually quite an easy read because it's written at a grade six literacy level. So it's accessible to a greater population. I go through a very respectful way to talk about residential schools, treaties, Indigenous peoples of Canada, our contributions, and tons of lesson plans and curriculum connections. But not only that, I also identify in table format from K to 12 suggested books that are written by Indigenous authors or else that have been vetted by Indigenous peoples that can be used in the K to 12 setting. So, you know, these are like some amazing resources to start, but it's the relationships, right? Yeah. Find out, is there a powwow? Mm -hmm. You know, is there a medicine walk being hosted by the Indigenous Friendship Center? Because it's these one-to-one experiences, these live experiences that are going to have the most impact. But definitely American Indian contributions to the world. It's an encyclopedia, um, truth and reconciliation in Canadian schools. And, you know, take a look at Education Canada, 
You can just put in Education Canada Toulouse because I have several other webinars and also I have a curriculum table as well where you can start thinking about how to embed Indigenous approaches to wellness. But start with the local folks. Always start with those relationships first before heading out into a more regional, provincial and national perspective. So several resources. You can always contact me. Of course, I'm retired. Um, (laughs) You can contact me in my retirement life. If you're looking for a place to start, if you're like, you know what? I just want a question that's answered. And if Mm -hmm. I can answer it, great. And if not, I will find somebody that can. Mm -hmm. That's very generous. So me, Gwetch, Caitlin, oh yeah, podcast listeners, I'm loving y'all in podcast land in this virtual landscape. So I just want to say me, Gwetch, and again, thank you to everyone. And again, take a look at those standards. I'm proud of them. Whole school approach, my friends, and this approach to holism and being out on the land, honoring the sacred, that is a way of knowing that not only is about Indigenous peoples, but it's also going to benefit and foster relationships with non-Indigenous peoples as well. So miigwech. It's miigwech. Thank you. Yes, it is. You got it, Caitlin. You <laughs> pronounced it very well. <laughs> miigwech to you as well, Dr. Pam. I am so grateful. I cannot wait for our listeners to dive in, to check into their local resources, their local individuals and their communities and their school boards that can help them and to check out some of those physical resources that you shared. We'll be sure to link to some of those in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining us for this podcast elective series, System Leadership and Healthy Schools, brought to you by the Canadian Healthy Schools Alliance. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow the Alliance on Twitter at CDN School Health or on LinkedIn by searching Canadian Healthy Schools Alliance or visit our website, healthyschoolsalliance.ca for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed.